SVG podcast where we discuss the competitive side of the game. I'm Charles, and with me today are Richard, Ian, Alexander, and a very special guest, Rainier Lee. Rainier is from the Unexpected podcast, and uh, he's also a part of the Philly SVG group. Today, he'll be joining us to discuss Dalamir and also share a couple lists. And in our open topic today, we'll be discussing competitive army building requirements. So Rainier, how did you get into the game and um, how did you find out about this SVG community? Uh, yeah, uh, I started the game in the 2017 um, Nova Open. I've always collected, um, probably since 2003, the models. I've painted them. I've lived in states where I never knew that there were players, so I never got into actually playing the game, like I said. But yeah, I always collected until um, I moved from Texas to Pennsylvania. And after following all of the YouTube shows like the DCHL, the GBHL, I saw the GBHL go to Nova and I was like, oh, I, I want to try that out too. So I brought an army there um, in 2017, had a lot of fun, met a lot of really good people. From there, I posted on the ASBGA asking if there's any players in the eastern Pennsylvania region. And a whole bunch of them were like, yeah, we play. And yeah, I just started a group with those guys. And before Corona hit, we were having maybe four, around four tournaments a year, traveling competitively to other tournaments in the region and stuff. But yeah, it all started out on YouTube, to be honest, watching videos, listening to podcasts like this, actually. So I actually have a small follow-up question. Um, it seems like the people in your group, they did pretty well in uh, Nova in 2019 when we all visited. So would you say like your group is more competitive based or do you guys also do like narrative and that kind of stuff? I, we, we come across competitive when we go to events um, just because of course we have like our jerseys and stuff and we have that Philly like snarl and stuff when we look at people. <laughs> no, but I, I wouldn't consider us actually that competitive to be honest. We have, uh, I'd want to say a 50-50 split of competitive players and non-competitive yeah, I'd, I'd say 50-50 split. Um, most of our gaming is actually just outreaching to new players, playing not so much narrative-based games, but just pick up games like 800-point, 700-point, 600-point games. I think the one thing that makes us competitive is our region. So whenever we attend events, it's either going where there's players like Devin or Jacob Hall, or there's players like the Iversons who are, who are pretty competitive in the States. So I think just us... Wherever we travel, wherever we play, we come up against competitive players, and it's caused us to actually get better because we're playing better players, if that makes sense. Plus, in general, like the ones that attend tournaments in our group, we play against each other, and we'll bring like our good lists, we'll test things out, and just just stuff like that. So yeah, I'd say 50-50, but the ones you see at events, maybe maybe 75% of us are, are pretty competitive, but it, it doesn't come from like, hey, we got to win. It's more... We just play good players in the region, and we, we don't want the DCHL to beat us. <laughs> Speaking of competitive play, do you have a favorite tournament or what you would consider your greatest achievement in the game? Yeah, uh, I think right off the bat, and you guys will probably agree with this at some point, Nova Open is just an amazing tournament. Um, it brings together many players from all around North America, and I, I see it less of like... Of course, I compete there, but I see it more of like a reunion between people that we see once a year. So I would say Nova's my favorite, although I've I've hosted a few in the Pennsylvania region, and I've genuinely really enjoyed them, um, especially uh, an unexpected tourney that I that I usually do yearly. But yeah, I'd, I'd say Nova, 
My greatest achievement would probably be in 2018 when I won Nova. It was actually the one year anniversary of me playing. So it was kind of special because I had played for one year and I was like, okay, like, let me see how it goes. And I, and I took it, but also um, representing America in the, the Articon special, the world tournament. Um, I was able to get, I think, sixth or seventh place in the event, and it helped our team be semi-competitive. Um, and to have two Americans place top 10 in the international setting was quite quite an achievement, I felt, as an American. So yeah, I'd say th- those two, those two, the Nova Open win and then the, the Articon tournament. USA, USA. Yeah, USA. <laughs> and the, and the, world, the whole world's looking at it. It's like, just calm down, guys. No one likes you. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So today we're going to be talking about Dalamir and Corsairs of Umbar. Would you consider that to be your favorite faction, or are there like other factions that you also really like in the game? I don't. I wouldn't say they're my favorite. I think they're probably at this point because I've I've played them for the past year before Corona. I took second at the last Nova, and and I used them at Articon as well. So I I feel like I'm comfortable with them. But they're not my favorite. When I do choose armies, I look at three things. Um, aesthetics, how do they look? Lore, what is the lore of them from the film and the books? And play style. So the three, the three, the armies that usually hit those, aesthetics, lore, and play style, are always the Fallen Realms. So um, I play Corsairs, Easterlings, Khand, um, what is it, Haradrim, and uh, what are those? The Mahud. And I'm, and I'm currently doing Dunlending. So I just... When I play the game now, like I don't actually look at it to where, oh, let me try to find some niche or some 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 different thing that's going to get the competitive edge. I've kind of like gone now to what I just enjoy playing, and that's the Fallen Realms. Before Corona and before I moved to Korea, I was actually, my new army was Khand and Easterlings. And I like the fact that you just never see Khand on the battlefield. One of the reasons is because they're so expensive, but like another reason is like they're just quite rare. So I, I was playing that a lot and enjoying the d- different rule set. You have these chariots, a light cav like Mongolian style army that hits pretty hard, but that's really soft. So, but to sum up, the three things would be aesthetics: how do they look? Are they fun to paint? The lure: what is the lure? The evil men I really like because it, there's that gray area in Middle Earth of shoot, these guys are men, but they're fighting on Sauron's side. Like, what is the story there? What is the deep history, the hatred of Gondor, the animosity like between Rohan and Dunland? You get the whole indigenous like Dunland where the indigenous people Rohan came as colonizers kind of feel. So I, I like that lore. And then, of course, play styles. I feel like all the evil fallen realm men's like just give a different aspect to the game. The chariots and the Mahud let you kill somebody in the move phase. Corsairs give you a horde ability, but also a, a fight for horde ability. There's the Mummick could bring like 140 models with Sharky and the Rogues. It's just these different things that you can play that brings it to a different playing level of fun, in my opinion. Slightly off topic, but have you gotten any games in with the Dunland? <laughs> they look like a really cool list with all the like the new heroes and like all the interactions and stuff. Yeah, I have only gotten like practice games in with like here in Korea teaching like friends the game. So I haven't been able to do hardcore like try to make them work competitively. Like I'm not gonna play like a new player and be like, okay, war cry, ah, and just like slaughter all the stuff. So so there's that aspect to it. But I do think they have a lot to offer and a really cool way to play. Yeah, it sounds like you listed all the evil men. I think you listed all of them. Are there any lists or armies that you want to try when tournaments finally come back? 
Yeah, when tournaments finally come back, I want to try Dunland really badly, actually. Like, that was going to be my next one. I was playing Cond and Easterlings a lot at American events, but I, w- I would want to try them instead of just playing around with them. I would want to try them at, like, a really competitive event like Nova or even in the UK. Uh, I just, each time I play an army, I, I look and I'm like, these models aren't as beautiful as the Cond army. <laughs> they aren't as unique play style as the Cond army. So for that, I even have a feeling like when I play Dunland at an event after Corona, I'm going to want to go back to Cond and Easterlings. Anybody else find it kind of funny that Cond isn't a very big army, yet two of our special guests have been absolutely in love with them? <laughs> really? <laughs> who, who else? Who else? There was um, Mitchell Hammond, another guy from the Duran show. We had him on a few uh, episodes ago for our Amder episode. <laughs> oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Did, did he combine Amder with Cond also? Uh, did he? He did. He did. For the list he brought. Yeah. He, he actually took it to the Escalation Tournament in North Carolina. Wow, that's very interesting. Yeah, interesting. All right, let's move on to the profile review for Dalamir, Fleetmaster of Umbar. Okay, so I'll just quickly go over his profile. You may go no further. You will not enter Gondor. (laughs) Who are you to deny us passage? Dalamir, Fleet Master of Umbar, is 90 points, and he is a hero legend. Move 6, fight 5, with a 3 plus to hit. Strength 4, defense 4, 3 attacks, 2 wounds, courage 4, 2 might, 2 will, 3 fate. He has a sword, throwing daggers, and smoke bombs. Smoke bombs are throwing weapons with a strength of one. Every time a model's hit but not slain, they have to spend a point of will or they come under the effect of a channel transfix. And then if Dalamir ever rolls a one, then he cannot use the smoke bomb for the rest of the game. He has heroic strike and heroic defense, and his special rules are Bane of Kings, which allows him to re-roll his rolls to wound. Stock and scene and preternatural agility, which means he can't be trapped while standing. So, Rainier, I know that Dalamir is in both of the lists that you're bringing today. What do you think of this profile? I love it, to be honest. Uh, I even put Dalamir in lists when I ally in Corsairs to other lists. I think he's, for 90 points, you get a model that can lead 18 troops for fairly cheap. So right off the bat, he's going to bulk up your army and your numbers. In my opinion, and I actually usually make him my, my leader, I think he's a really good leader because he's not only hard to kill, but he's hard to wound. In many evil armies, you'll have heroes and leaders with one fate. Dalmir having three with stock unseen kind of makes it hard for someone like Legolas to get a cheeky like uh, general wound on him or for someone to kill him. Plus he has heroic defense too. So if he's trapped or even knocked down, you could throw heroic defense against someone like the likes of Boromir or Aragorn and it, and it makes him hard to kill. But yeah, I like, I like him a lot. I think his only weakness would be his two might. But that you're going to have that weakness when you play Corsairs because they're just not that big with might. But I, I like him a lot. Um, the worst, he's a general that leads 18 guys that's hard to kill. The best you'll get out of him is he'll trap and kill other heroes. And he'll munch through troops while also doing everything really well. So I, I really like him. I think Rainier pretty much covered most of it. That like He just has a really uh, solid stat line for his points. Having not really used them as much as you, Rainier, I just want to know, like, 
how good are the smoke bombs? Because just reading it on paper, it looks ridiculous. And I might even be tempted to like save at least one might to just in case you get the one so you can just keep on throwing the bombs. But um, what's your experience with that? So my experience, to be honest, I don't use them that often. Um, the one weakness they have is if you throw them against a hero, they could just expend one will and it's ignored. So um, you won't usually, unless you bring the Knight of Umbar or other ring wraiths, you won't really come against good armies that really are afraid of it. You can always get it against like a one will hero twice. But the only time I've actually used it at events is against big monsters like a cave troll or a Mordor troll or something large that just doesn't have the ability to resist it. Mm, right. Yeah. Have you tried it at events? Like, what is your take? Because I've only played it in like casual pickup games, so it's hard to say, but I can see it being really useful against monsters. But I was also thinking that it's more like a cheeky thing if you go into like a captain or something. Yeah. Um, they only have one will to resist, so there's a good chance of it going off and then then you pretty much have like a free kill there and even if they win the fight you're pretty safe i would say another weakness i kind of see with this is him being the biggest hero in umbar and he's only courage four kind of uh, makes it a bit tough for the list to stay after being broken so yeah yeah it it is very trust me i've had that frustration at events (laughs) there goes my my umbar horde in one turn just running away (laughs) But the the Hero of Legend does help in a way for that because he does get to pass the first one automatically. And I think just real quick with the smoke bombs too, I think the one thing that I don't like about them is your opponent doesn't have to take a resist roll. He just has to expend one will and it's automatically ignored. So I think that's one thing that I'm like, iffy about oh yeah good point yeah but you're you're right about the courage like it 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 sucks (laughs) yeah i can see um how it's a little bit hard to rely on the smoke bomb because if you roll one and you spend might so it doesn't run out you it still doesn't hit because you hit on a three right Mm -hmm. so it's it's like it'd be in very rare situations i would actually be worth biting it Mm -hmm. dalmir also has thrown weapons so when I play him at events, I'll throw him into, say, like a Boromir on horse or, or Faramir on horse. I really would rather kill the horse in the charge than to get Boromir or Faramir down one will point. Even even if it means, like, willing him down, willing him down, I would still rather, I think, sometimes the, the throwing weapon has more trade back immediately. Yeah, I, I think the best way, and in my limited experience at least with, with him, I had him with one of the, like, a ringway. So then you can kind of get the will down before that, and yeah. then you hit them with the the smoke bombs, or like doing like the old like basically threatening them with double immobilize in the same turn, so you can really rapidly mm-hmm. reduce them. But it is still risky, right? Yeah, it is. But I I really like that that idea. It, it and it even makes it. I think they can ally with Mordor two or Knight of Umbar. Like like I've never tried it, but I think that could act. That would work really well. Make his smoke bombs like that more terrifying to your opponent. So on the, the Courage front, I know you can take Black Numenorians in the list. Do you like consider taking a Black Numenorian with a banner or like a Warhorn or anything to buff it? Because that's another weakness that the Corsairs kind of have is they don't have actual banners, right? And like you guys are saying, the lower Courage. It's a really good, really good take. I've never taken a banner. I've only allied it in with lists um, like Soladan. But I've never taken a Warhorn because I always go for Horde when it comes to the Corsairs. And the points kind of brings it a little down. Same with the banner. I do take a lot of Black Numenorians to my list because they have fear. So it kind of gives that buff. But my play style with the Corsairs isn't 
I mean, they come across as one or two play styles, but people can actually play them like five or six ways. And my my specific play style, I just never bring the banner or the war horn just because I can ally in the banner easily. Or um, Dalgamar can give the banner effect, and then the war horn and the banner would bring down the numbers a little bit while I'm going trying to go for horde. But there is a player, Devin Morano. Um, I've played an event in North Carolina last year against him, and he had Corsairs, and he had, I think, he allied in Soladan with his banner, and he had a Warhorn for the same reason, to boost up their courage for the late game. Okay, so I think we're going to um, go ahead with our profile ratings, just to give Rainier a refresh. Uh, so it's between 0 and 10. Um, 10 is a hero that you would bring in every list, and 0 is like a useless hero. So, yeah. What would you say um, Dalamir is, in your opinion? I, I think in a Corsair list, pure, he'd be a 9 or 10. I think allied in where your majority of your troops are Corsairs, I'd still put him at a 9 or 10 just because he'll beef up your numbers. Um, I think if you ally in Corsairs, like one warband to like a Mordor or a Harad or even like a like a Mahood army, he drops a little little lower. But I'd probably put him at like a seven or eight still. I, I just think he brings so much. Um, you can compare him to Dalgamar, who's seventy five points, and Dalamir for fifteen more points gives. I mean, you're not getting that one extra might, but he just gives so much to it. A good general, a good threat. 18 models of cheap Corsairs to support your army. Like, it, it, I, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I'd probably say he's like a 9 to really cheap and hard to kill and probably not going to give him a perfect score because he only has 2 might. But everything else is pretty solid. And he's kind of an assassin too. You can use him to kill if you really wanted to. Yeah, I would say maybe like a 9.5 just because I think every time I've seen any sort of Corsairs list, even if it's like the ones allied in, like this guy's always taken. So he's pretty close to a must take. When you just look at the top stat line at first, you kind of question the defense four. You're like, oh, I, I remember the first time I come up against him in a game. And I'm like, oh, he's defense four. I'll hopefully if I can get a hero into him, I'll take him down. And of course, Dalmiri doesn't start in the front line. He starts in the back and like works his way up into combat. And so he's tough to get to. And with stock unseen, can't just be taking shots at him from all over the place. He's got three fate points. He can't be trapped while standing. He's got Bane of Kings, Rook Defense, Rook Strike, and all of a sudden you're like in combat with him after like six turns, and you're just like, this isn't going anywhere. You know, he's not absolutely demolishing everything he touches. He's doing a fair bit of damage, and he's just not going down. And like has already been said, in any uh, list of Corsairs, it seems like he's always there. You know, for 90 points to have 18 Corsairs in his list, he's really, really good. Don't ever let the defense four fool you. He won't go down easily at all. I think he's a solid nine, probably. Is he the cheapest hero legend in the game? No, I think Sharky. Well, yeah, Thaden is still cheaper than him, technically. (laughs) Depends on how you run him, right? Or even if you run him on foot, he still he ends up being like 80, 85. But yeah. yeah, he's still one of the cheapest ones. He's up there, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I could follow Alex with that and just give him a 9 for all the reasons you guys have said. Like, the heroic actions are good. His kit is good. The special rules are good. The profile, like, it initially seems kind of weak, but if you compare it to how much he costs, I think it's about right. Like, for what you're paying, it's a very, very solid uh, base stats, and then you add everything else on. 
including the amount of troops he can lead. And yeah, it just it adds up to a really, really nice package. That being said, there is another profile that is 10 points cheaper than him and almost exactly the same, but who I think I've maybe seen brought once or twice in like six years. And that's the Hasherin. So I just want to bring this up briefly, but like, does, does anybody have any other thought, like any thoughts on the Hasherin? Like, why don't we see them that much? I, I get why before, because they were 90 points, but now that they've dropped down to 80, I still like barely one, see them. It's the one might. I think that's it. <laughs> yeah. I, uh... Yeah, it's because it's I, when I first started Core just in fun games, I was playing, I'd, I'd bring Dalmir and two Hasherin and just have fun with it. But it is the, the one might kind of gets you. Because the Hashrim is basically a troop killer, but if you throw him up against someone like Aragorn, you can either use the one might to heroic defense and survive another day, or risk being killed outright in that turn by heroic striking. So yeah, I'd, I'd say it's the, the one might that kind of brings him down. Hmm. He also doesn't have the Corsair keyword, so even though he's in the Umbar list, right? So you probably would never be in a situation where you would want to take them in Umbar. I think there, there's always a situation where you can take an Umbar, and they'd offer quite a lot. But with Umbar's big weakness is might in general. So even Dalmir has two, the captains have two, Dalgamar has three. But then you, you're, you're coming across, do I choose Dalgamar or a Hasharin? I could bring a Hasharin and lose two might, which is the weakness, and not even have like Heroic March or something. Or I could bring something cheaper that has Heroic March or something cheaper that has three might. So I think that's... With everything in this game, it's it's comparing. Oh, what else could I take? What else can I take? But I still think they're quite viable. Like they're pretty good. Yeah, that's it's a good point about Delgamar too, because he he still has three attacks right in the fight five, so he's kind of filling the same role. And then he just brings the extra counter effect. I'm assuming is really useful because don't want to lose as many fights, right? Because because your defense is so low. So I guess yeah, I guess it'd be Delgamar always first. Dalamir, Delgamar, and then go from there. Yeah. All right, let's move on to some army lists. Rainier has brought two army lists to share today. One pure Corsairs of Umbar list and one Alliance list. Let's start with your 700-point pure list. Just give us a breakdown of what's in the list and your general strategy. So my list does not have all of the models you'd probably expect to be in a pure list. I'll, I'll go over it and I'll talk about it. Um, so it's 700 points. The first war banner is Dalmir. He is leading eight shielded Corsairs, six uh, spear and shield Corsairs, and four Arbalisters. The second warband is Dalgamar. Um, he's leading eight Corsairs with shield and five Corsairs with shield and spear. And then I have uh, two more warbands. One of them is a Corsair captain with crossbow. He's leading six Arbalisters and three uh, Corsairs with shield. And the last one is another Corsair captain with crossbow leading five Arbalisters and three Corsairs with shield. The breakdown is 700 points, 52 models. My killing breakpoint would have to be 27, 9 might, 18 crossbows, 38 throwing weapons, and Dalmir would be the leader. So the basic to this is, a lot of people will probably get to me this, and this is where my personal strategy and list build comes into play. I'm a little more of a defensive player. Charles will know this because we played at Nova. I will do every little thing to try to not to get you, to get you killing any of my troops. I treat every model as like they're precious. So even if it's one course or a warrior, I'm like, no, don't, don't die, don't die, don't die. So, so yeah, I put shield on all of my corsairs. 
the the one reason is if you come against uh elven shooting army and even if you have pretty heavy uh corsair abolist or shooting crossbows at, at your opponent they're just going to meal piece you as you go in uh wounding you on fours which is not fun even in combat you even come against the gondorian army at basic strength three your guys are going to be dying on a roll of four which again is not fun so the one extra point, a lot of people don't do this, but I, I make it happen each time is I always give my Corsairs a shield for the extra defense, plus having a fight four wide army, the shielding comes in, into play really well too. So if you have a hero up against two Corsairs, you know, okay, even if I win, I'm not going to wound. How about I'll just four dice it shield with both of them or shield with three of them just to make sure that they have to roll probably a six to win the fight, kill or heroic combat or something. So that's why I put shields on them. I distribute my crossbows throughout the warbands. I do this for a few reasons. The first is if you come against an army that has all the shooting in one warband, you know, okay, there's the shooting. I have to worry about it there. I can negate it with blinding light easy, or I could maneuver easily. You can go really heavy with a charge, get into combat against the shooting, and it's not going to be a threat anymore. So I distributed the crossbows in three warbands because I want to make sure I can shoot at different angles. If one warband's being taken over, I still have 12 crossbow shooting. Um, and then it's, a, it's another thing, like in the military, you call it suppressing fire. So you can shoot with one warband, because crossbows you can't move and shoot, and have one warband move up. Then the next one, shoot with that warband, one warband move up. And you have that constant move, because you're not going to want to keep your crossbows away from the fight in the Corsairs, because they still get backstabbing, the backstabbing rule. So you always want to keep your army all together. You don't want to shoot with half your army, throw half your army into combat, because then you don't have the numbers that you worked really hard to get. So yeah, keep them together, I would say. I stayed away from the, and I actually want to hear your guys' thoughts on the bos- the bosun and the, the reavers, but I, I stayed away from them because I play, I don't know. The bosun gives one might. The Corsair captains have march with two might. So I wanted to might it up, plus I think it's dangerous to have two captains with might and crossbows against the likes of, like, mounted heroes. So yeah, so that's why I chose them instead. It also gives me more of a defensive... I mean, like I said, fighting against Charles, you know this. I don't want any model to die. Like, it gives me a defensive kind of maneuver. They can shield, they're not going to get killed fast. Yeah, what do you guys think? It's funny, I I just want to jump out on this one because that last point about not having any Reavers or a Boson was the first thing I noticed looking at this list. Because last edition, Corsair Reavers, everybody was like, this is the most broken model in the game. This is uh, incredible, nine points, you get two attacks. They are a decent profile with the two attacks, but when you read the special rule... Obviously, needing to have a boson, having to have them within a certain range of that boson in order to not have your army essentially just cannibalize itself at the start of a turn. When I look at your army as a whole and I read over the profiles and I listen to your strategy, I agree more and more with your uh, with your sentiment going around it. Just because, really, if you have those reavers, you have to start building the list around it. It's a very aggressive force and it's very kind of high risk, high reward which obviously it sounds like with your strategy of with all the uh, arbalesters and the captains with crossbows, it really doesn't fit with your play style. So I think this is a great choice, really not having the reavers and the strategy that you mentioned, the arbalesters and the captains to move half of the crossbows and sit the other half and alternate. 
That's great. So yeah, I just wanted to jump in and say I agree with that choice and I can understand why I think. I obviously like the Reaver profile, but the way you've built the army, I think it doesn't warrant any Reavers and why ruin a good thing. So personally, I think I, I would rather have the uh, Bosun as opposed to one of the captains just for the banner effect because you have the fight for everywhere, which is like good, decent fight value. And he still brings the march if you need to. But I I guess the trade-off is you lose a fight value on the Bosun and a might point. Uh, but you get a banner effect. I... I feel like that would make your line more reliable, and then you wouldn't have to use Dalgamar as much, or you could spread out over like most of your line. But I guess I get why. And then listening to uh, an unexpected podcast, I know you like your Fight 5 heroes, so I guess that makes sense. And then the extra might. Yeah, that's interesting. And then yeah, I love the, the shoot and scoot kind of idea with the crossbows, which I think is kind of harder for other armies that have crossbows like Iron Hills or Isengard, because they just don't get the same numbers of crossbows that you do. Because you've got, what, is it 14 or 15 or something like that? No, 18. Oh, yeah, because you got the captains as well. Yeah, so, like, with that amount, even if you have six running, like, a dozen crossbows is what you'd normally get in most other lists with crossbows, even at, like, high 800 points, right? So, yeah, I really like that flexibility. That's really good tactically. Ian, do you have a rating? I'm still pondering other thoughts. If you, if you know your rating. Rate me low, boys. Rate me low, boys. I won't be offended. <laughs> Okay, as someone who has never played uh, Corsairs in any competitive game before, I'm here to tell you you're wrong about the Reavers. I don't know. I Personally, I think it is like a personal preference thing, but I do think it's worth probably taking at least a few, especially with their two attacks. I know you said that you don't like seeing your guys die, but I think with the two attacks and like all the rerolls that uh, the Corsairs can give from like Delgamar and the Bosuns and stuff, you're actually going to be winning a lot of fights. And you have, like, a spear support. So I think they actually have a lot of staying power, and they give you that hitting power as well. Similar to kind of if you play Serpent Horde, might want to sprinkle in some Abrican Guard just for that extra hitting power. So I kind of see it the same way. You probably don't want to take too many, but I would probably go for maybe half a Warband or so, personally. But aside from that, I really do like how you have more shields than spears. I like that ratio for horde armies. I do like a very similar thing with like my Moria army, because I think that's the best way to get traps and you can utilize your army bonus and get the backstabber rule. So yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I think like I would probably give this like a high valor, like just below legend, just because I think I agree with Ian, like I think I would go for like the one bosun instead of the one captain and then take like half a dozen reavers or something like that. So so I'm looking at the Reavers again, and just now I was kind of inclined to agree with Richard that maybe like three to six in any kind of an army would be good just because they can charge terror-causing models without having to take that extra courage test uh, if you choose to fail their special rule, right? Which you can do if you're close to a boson. But that being said, I kind of feel like they would just become arrow magnets really quick just because they have defense three. Like you were saying earlier, that's why you give everybody shields is so they can't get shot out easily. So. I'm kind of inclined to think now that it might just be better to not include that many at all. Like, go zero or go for, like, a full warband. Because no matter what you do, they are going to be target priority. So if you want to take them, you should take enough to make sure that at least, you know, half of them are going to get into combat. Like, a decent amount are going to make it there. That being said, you know, if you had, like, three, maybe they're still easy enough to hide behind guys. That they'll live to get into combat just so you have something to charge terror-causing models that's reliable. You don't need that 100% necessarily just because you have so many models. So 
Yeah, if you had the boson, I'd take a few, but since you don't, I guess, yeah, that makes sense. I'm settling into a Valor, I think, for the list, but it's the same kind of situation. Like, I, I've only played with them using, like, a Warband before of Corsairs, and I haven't played against them a ton. So I'm not sure how deadly it is, but I'm absolutely loving the sheer amount of crossbows and throwing weapons in the list. Like, it's insane. I've played a lot of lists that have, like, similar amounts, and it's just absolutely suppressive what happens when you get that one round of throwing daggers off. Or all of a sudden, you go from, like, 10 shots a turn to 40, and, like, an entire flank just gets absolutely reduced of your opponent. Like, it is, it is ridiculous. So... It does help, too, during the grind game, and I think a lot of good players that don't play evil forget that uh, evil players can throw into combat. And it is good. I've used it a lot for when you get, like, a big hero like Boromir or Golovar. You know they're going to heroic combat. Go try to take out Dalmir. It is fun to just throw 13 daggers, hoping to kill your own guy so you can negate that hero from doing something for a turn. So, yeah. That is one of my favorite moves of all time. What did you just do? I just shot out my own troop to stop your heroic combat from working. That's what I just did. Love it. <laughs> I'm just going to jump in and just quickly give my rating because I essentially gave my analysis already. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with a pretty solid Valor too. I really like the list. The number of crossbows is fantastic. I really like the look of Corsairs in general as a list just because they look like the cost-optimized version of what Isengard can't be in the sense that you get your Arbalesters for one less point, Urukai crossbows, and then you've got the fight for troops there, but at a much more affordable cost. I mean, sure, you're missing out on the defense, and that's why, as well as one strength, but you get that fight for at only seven, eight points a model. And all the throwing weapons, like, I could hear Ian, like, squealing, and his microphone was off. It's a fantastic army. I think your build is really, really strong. So I really like this list. I think with the question about whether you should take Reavers and Osun, I think that would make the list slightly different, but I'm familiar with your playstyle. Like you said, we played at Nova, so if you're not playing like an aggressive, just like charge-in kind of game, I don't think that you really need the Reavers. With your playstyle, if you like to play like hit and run more and stuff like that, I think your list could be just as strong without the Reavers. The Bosun, I mean, you're at 9 might. That's pretty average for 700 points. If you were to go down to 8, not a big difference, I guess. The 38 uh, throwing weapons, is that probably scares me the most out of the whole list. Yeah, I think it's a very strong list with very few weaknesses. So I think this is Hero Legend. So a side effect of not having any Reavers is that your opponent will see your list. They're going to ask how many Reavers you had. You say none, and they're going to relax a bit. They're going to calm down. They're going to be like, oh, okay. This is easy. It's just normal Corsairs. And then it's just completely the opposite of what they're expecting the game to go yeah, like. That, that, that's what I've come because I did I did play Reavers when I first started. And I was like, ah, these guys just die too fast. I don't like this. Like, I, you have these wild guys painted with skulls all over them. And here they come. And it's like, oh, shoot. They're go they Five of them died in one turn. Like, that's not fun. <laughs> but... But I, I, I do I do totally agree with you on that aspect because right across the board now you're, you see, oh, no, Reavers, Dalmir, Dalgamar, six inches, fight five. That's all I have to worry about. Throw my guys into your troops. But then you have 52 models with Backstabber, and it's really easy. And, and you, you alluded to it earlier in the Unexpected podcast. I love me some fight five cheap captains. I, I love it so much because you can throw a, a Corsair captain into the likes of Aomir. Surround him with a whole bunch of Corsairs with supporting and everything. 
and be like, okay, Aramir, you could do one of two things. You could strike up and like pray to God that you, that you win in the fight and then like potentially lose a lot of your might. Or you could broke combat, maybe try to kill one of them, but you can't kill like all, all of them surrounding you. So I like that aspect because it is the little subtlety that people forget. The fight five with throwing weapons and two might and a crossbow. And he blends in with all the warriors because the pose is similar. The paint job is similar. So you could just throw them in. Get that backstabber with fight five really affects heroic combats too um, against fight four troops. Oh, that's a that's a next level tactic right there. Paint your heroes very similar to your troops so your enemy doesn't know where they are. I'll need to learn that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna change the cloak colors of all of my heroes back to the normal infantry color. <laughs> you don't need to know where they are. <laughs> it, it is a semi-meta though i mean for me i painted them you, you saw them charles they're not painted bright they're painted earthy and that is a meta and strategy in itself because you have a horde of 52 models um the, the army we're going to go over that i went against with charles you have a big horde slightly dark painted and i like the dark aesthetic but it just doesn't look like a horde and you don't realize it until it's too late <laughs> oh god painting is now part of the meta <laughs> What's happening? Oh no! <laughs> We've got metas stacked within metas. It's like metaception. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, let's talk about that list. Eight hundred points. Corsairs of Umbar Alliance list. Okay, so this is the list that I brought to Nova Open. It is also a variation of a seven hundred and fifty point list I brought to Articon. And let's see, it is Dalmir leading six Black Numenorians, four Corsairs with shield, six Corsairs with shield and spear, and one basic Corsair with sword. Um, the next warband is a Corsair captain with crossbow leading eight Avalisters and three Corsairs with shield. Another captain with crossbow leading six Avalisters, three Corsairs with shield and spear, and three Corsairs with shield. And the last warband is an allied in, Soladan on armored horse. He's leading two serpent guards, four Abrican guards, three Haradrim warriors with bow and spear, four Haradrim warriors with bow, and one watcher of Karna with twin blades. The makeup is 800 points, generals, Dalmir, uh, has seven bows, 16 crossbows, three cav, 23 throwing weapons, nine might, and you need to kill it 30 to break it. And it is a historic alliance, too, so you still get the backstabbers. Special rule, you still get half of your Bradrum can be bows. Strategy of this list is it's basically to balance what I think Corsairs is missing. So the one thing Corsairs is missing is Cav. I brought in a Soledan and two Serpent Riders to play the scenario game a little better. Corsairs are also missing a banner that affects the scenario VP points. So Soledan has a 6-inch banner that can affect the whole army. And he also counts towards VP points. Um, Soledan is not my leader too, so that frees me up to not be fanatic with Soledan, but I can throw him in without the fear of, oh no, he's going to lose a wound and I'll lose the hero or the, the general points. Basic same strategy for my last list. There's suppressing fire. I can even suppress fire with the bows because I can move three inches, shoot three inches, shoot, move up. Four heroes all fight five, two of them with heroic strike. And the two crossbow captains, of course, being the sleepers that I like to use a lot. And yeah, I try to bring a little bit of everything. I don't have any reavers, but the four Abrican guard kind of work in the sense that they're going to burly bust through the heavy armor stuff. And yeah, combine that with the serpent riders, lance charge uh, with Soladan. The black Numenorians I like as well. 
Um, I didn't put them in my last list, but I, I really love Black Luminorians. For nine points, you can get a model that's fight for and causes terror. Like that is really good, especially with Dalmir, because it causes people not to be able to tie him up when he's surrounded by scary, scary models. I would rank this higher than the other one. I know there's, of course, still weaknesses. Courage being the weakness of both, especially this one at 800 points, you're going to come against a lot of terror and terror bubbles. It can't really fight with that, so you, you want to switch up your strategy when coming against terror. But I feel like I tried to balance it a little bit and sprinkle in different things. And as a horde with 58 models, I've realized when I come against other hordes, I do pretty well because my horde, the, the kick in the army doesn't really come from the heroes. It comes from the troops. When I've come up against all hero lists or hero heavy lists, there's enough models that I can kind of play gingerly to cause my opponent to work harder to break me or even go for the scenario points. And yeah, I like it. It has shooting, throwing weapons. The main thing I like about it is the kicking power is distributed throughout the army. Soledan can croak combat. The fight five captains can tie up a, a hero. Abrakan can break through a battle line. I can trap models. The Black Numenorians can negate your opponent from charging. So yeah, I, I don't know. I want to hear what you guys think. So just for a bit of context, you took this list to Nova 2019, right? And you placed second or third, I think? Yeah, I got second. Yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's saying something. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the list that I brought. This is the one that I brought to uh, Articon also. I took out 50 points. But yeah, I liked it. I mean, it was fun. I don't know. What do you guys think? I know Charles has played against this specific list. I do like the, uh, you said the Suladan inclusion. That's really good just because of the banner and what, what you said there. And then also just spreading out. Like, I agree with you. Keeping Dalmir as the general there makes sense just because then you have your banner points and your leader points separated. And then you can go a little bit more risky with him because he is your only like mounted hero who can really do a lot of damage. So, yeah, I like it. Yeah, still remember our game from Nova. Like you said in the Dalamir profile, he's really hard to kill, and you might not be able to tell from just looking at his like defense four, but I just remember he kind of just avoided fighting all game. You were trying to run off the board with him, and I finally caught up to him with Aragorn in the last turn right at the board edge, and then um, you surrounded me, and I had the choice of heroic striking or defense, and I think I picked strike, and then I died. <laughs> the Dalamir just took him out in one turn. <laughs> that was an intense game, though. That was really... You scared the heck out of me, like, <laughs> bringing Aragorn in, and I'm like, oh, shoot, like, oh, no, oh, no. He was so close to the finish line. Like, those people that are running a race, and they go to celebrate, and then they trip on their shoestring, and then, like, someone just, like, zooms right past them. Yeah, your firepower was terrifying, especially when I didn't have any shooting in my list, and I was trying to run for the board edge. It was very, very difficult. Yeah, I like the composition. Just wondering why you went with two captains instead of another hero like Delgamar, for example, because we kind of agreed that Delgamar is really good and usually like a second pick for an Ambar hero. Yeah, yeah, good take. One of the minor reasons was it's when the profile first came out, so um, I didn't really have much test practice with him. But also, he he's good, but it's 20 points of troops. And back to our conversation in the beginning, why I don't bring the Warhorn or an extra banner. The 20 points gave me the ability to bulk up more troops and even give shields to all my guys and uh, add a Watcher of Karna to charge something that like might be terrifying and flying. And it just, it, w it was a give or take between add him and have one more hero 
or make all of my warriors the exact composition of what I wanted them to be. And and that's why I chose not to have them because I would prefer with this list to bulk up my guys to 58 models at 800 points because then it is, it's a semi-horde and I don't have to worry about three or four of them dying in a round or some of them dying in shooting. Like at Nova, none, none of the games my army broke and I thought that was due to the composition of like a lot of models. But yeah, yeah, that's I guess the main course. And then just with other podcasts and talking to you guys, I'm just obsessed with the Corsair Captain with Crossbow. <laughs> I, just, I just like back to what they give. And then it also gives me three warbands with Heroic March. And that worked in Reconnoiter games that worked in different domination and stuff just to have, okay, anywhere I can Heroic March 13 or 15 models. I'm pretty sure your 16 crossbows took out like three guards of the fountain court per turn. (laughs) (laughs) Super scary list. This is going to be a hero of legend rating. So my thinking was that when I first saw this list, I think I was in the table beside you guys at Nova when you were playing Charles. And I just looked over and I was like, thank God I'm not playing that. I'm gladly playing whatever is in front of me instead. (laughs) But yeah, I think compared to the first list, I like this one a lot more. We didn't really touch on it when we first um, talked about the Umbar list, but the big thing is the no cap, right? So getting the cheap Serpent Riders, which are a good value as well. And then Suladan, I think we've talked in past episodes, one of the best evil heroes. And then you also have Black Numenorians and the Watcher of Karnar, which kind of fills in a bit with the weakness of not having Reavers, being able to more likely charge into terror, causing troops. Because I think Black Numenorians are Courage 4, so it's it's a little higher than the standard Corsair. Yeah, I mean, I think the results are pretty obvious, so it's a hero legend for me. The results that you've had with this list really speak for itself. I'm not going to go too in-depth. I absolutely love Black Numenorians for all the reasons you mentioned. Fight for Terror. Uh, when you're playing an evil list, usually that Courage 4 is an upgrade on your base troop, which it is here. Aside from that, you've got some of the same composition from your first list. You do have the Arbalesters, which are very good. You get another good number of bows. It's almost funny just because you have so many crossbows and throwing weapons already. But when it comes to your playstyle, I think with ranged weapons, you can't ever have enough. And then just one Watcher of Karna, because why not? The results speak for themselves. It's an easy hero of legend. So how often do you get to hear the phrase, a fight for Horde, in this game? It's not very often. There's like this, and I guess the army of Lake Town. Ah, may, maybe Gondor, if, depending if you build it the right way. But it's it just combines so many different things together. The fight for the crazy amount of like ranged damage and numbers. It's crazy, and then just damage in combat because of the uh, the army bonus. It's pretty insane. And and even though your defense is pretty low at at four across the board, basically it's. You kind of forget how hard it is to deal 30 wounds, especially when you're on a timer, no matter what conditions. And then factor in the fact that they're going to be taking off a ton of your models, too, before combat. It's It gets really, really hard to do. So, yeah, no, it's great. And then, like you said, you factored in, like, all the things that uh, Corsairs are weak in. You kind of make up for it with the Harad contingent. So, yeah, I think I think I would rate it a legend as well. It's, it's really solid. I'll, I'll Venmo you the money for saying that later. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my money, man? 
Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me send it right now. Let me send it right now. <laughs> we want... Under the title, Hero Legend Money, right there. <laughs> Boom. And we want uh, USD, not Korean dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you each 20 Korean won, which is like two cents. <laughs> We're rich now, boys. Woo-hoo. International money. <laughs> Okay, let's uh, move on to our open topic of this episode. Our open topic of today is competitive army building requirements. So what kind of uh, general rules there are that you think about when you're preparing a list for a competitive tournament? So just to start the discussion, what are some general rules when you're building a list for a tournament? So I think a big one, um, especially with the meta swinging more towards objective-based scenarios, you do want a higher model count. I've seen some like calculations that like a competitive group on Facebook go by. I think it's something like, you divide by 20 the points value is like roughly what you that would be like the average so say like um, 800 points 40 would be the average and then under that would be more elite and then above that would be closer to a horde army so i think the current meta is that you want to lean towards on the higher side so yeah i think that's the big key one right now so unless you're sure you want to go with a more specialized like elite force then you do want to kind of hit that critical number. Just to tag onto that in terms of the scenarios, especially with the most recent six that were added to the scenario pool, mobility is key. And we hype that a lot on this podcast. You know, having at least one heroic march is really good. And, you know, personally, I like to get a heroic march and two to four cav in there, no matter what kind of list I'm building, just so you have the mobility where you need it. Yeah, I think... Mobility is something you always need to keep in mind because generally in a tournament, there will be uh, at least one or two that require a model to either capture an objective or to pick up something. And then also just like a maelstrom too, you need to think about if you get stuck in like a bad deployment spot, can you get out of that? Although I wouldn't say that every single army needs a march or needs cavalry. A lot of the new legendary legions don't have the option for mounted warriors or even mounted heroes. And I still think some of them are really good, like like defenders of Helm's Deep, for example. But like Richard said, the numbers are important. So I think if you don't have if you don't have mobility or if you don't have cavalry, then you definitely want big numbers so you can capture the objectives. You have enough spare models on the side that you can just send them to a certain part of the board. Corsairs of Vanbar is another one of those armies where they don't have cavalry. So it's really important that you get the numbers up. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you guys say. And I, the one thing I love about the new six scenarios is when you, when you play, because we, we go to these beautiful tournaments where there's amazing boards. When you play on the board now, you're not just going to be in one area. You get to experience the whole board during the two hours. So that's what I kind of really respect about that. But yeah, I'd, I'd say mobility, even mobility and heroes, I think um, having one mega hero and no other hero, it's going to be hard competitively because he's only going to affect a certain part of the board. You kind of want to dish something dangerous for the other parts of the boards as well. We used to see a lot of combined type army things. So like Kurdan, maybe an Elrond or everything that works within a 12 inch bubble. 
I think it's kind of shifting away from that in a way, which in a way makes hordes more dangerous because you can't i mean if you if you have a scenario where you need to spread out within 24 inches like you can't have that bubble just within 12 inches for the whole game you're gonna have to split it oh yeah on that aspect having like even like a captain level kind of model in your battle line having about three of those or just extra support for big heroes is really key because that just adds like an extra little bit of punch to your line or an extra whole combat that allows you to turn a flank so having that and also I kind of noticed I like having my might spread out. If I have 10 might, but it's on like three heroes or four heroes, it's not as good as having 10 might at like five different places. You know what I mean? Because you can kind of have it where you need it at all times. Yeah, on the might issue, I think um, you brought up earlier that when we talked about heroic actions, like heroic march is now like pretty much a staple if you're going to go to like a five or six game tournament because you'll very likely need it. What are your guys' thoughts about, like, heroic strikes and, like, how many you should have or do you need it? Because I think we talked about this briefly in our uh, episode talking about heroic actions and we rated it the best one. So what do you guys think? For me, for heroic strike, I don't ever want to just have one just because that localizes it too much. Similar to what Ian talked about with might, I don't like having strike only in one place. I'd say two is definitely a good number, just because you're not going to have usually an incredible number of heroes, and you're going to want to have a few that can do different things in the same list. So I'd say two. If by chance I can get a third, it's great. I agree with you a lot, actually. Like, uh, I think for me personally, it also depends on the player. So I play a lot of Fallen Realms, which have low defense, and heroes that have one to zero fate. So for me, strike isn't as important, in a sense, army-wise, because I know if I heroic strike against a mega hero and I lose, I'm going to probably die that round, even if it is like a Soladan or possibly a Dalmir. I think it depends on your army, in a way. So for me, I still think heroic strike is the best in the game overall, but for my list build, it's kind of heroic strike and march our march is coming up with the new scenarios it's it's itching its way to where it was like oh heroic march cute my guys can go faster but with the new six scenarios it's like oh shoot like people used to throw in heroes on purpose with heroic strike now i think people are going to throw in heroes on purpose with heroic march if that makes sense oh heroic yeah. march is huge in one of the earlier episodes the guys called me the person who's always going to have at least one march on a list and the one time i didn't yeah they were pretty critical of me for it but I think it's it's a must-have in lists now, especially with the new six scenarios. So for Strike, I think under 500 points, like 500 and below, you can get away with having like one model who strikes. I personally wouldn't want to leave home without one. But yeah, one at 500 and below is fine. Above that, I'd probably look for two to three. But also, in that sense, having a model with heroic defense, I kind of count as like half a heroic strike just because they can go into an enemy hero and tie them up for X amount of turns. As long as they have might for heroic defense, they should be able to tie them up, barring ridiculous dice rolls. And at the end of the day, if you can tie up an Aragorn for two turns with you know your 70-point model, that's a win for you. I have a buddy from our group that does that exact same thing. He brings Durberts from the Goblin list at 70 points, and he has both strike and defense. And he says, surprisingly, in his games, he uses defense more just because it is kind of like, okay, like, 
well, I've got two fate and two wound and got to roll a lot of sixes. I have three rounds of just tying, like you said, tying them up, giving them, let, not letting them do anything for like the whole game with their heroes. Well, it's one of the reasons I love uh, Arvidui from the Arnor list so much, because he has both of them as well. And then you combine that with the, the heroic defense with the five-up save from Malbeth, and he's just, ah, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, a delicious meal. I don't think a list has to have strike to be competitive. You just need an answer for big heroes and monsters. So I think if a list has like access to easy transfix or immobilize or like bat swarm or some kind of threat that can take out a big hero, like Assault upon Helm's Deep Legendary Legion, they have the demolition charge and then the ballista to deal with big heroes. So I think in most situations, uh, you do want strike in your list, but it's not like mandatory for a good list. It's more about finding um, answers to big heroes. I totally agree with that. I feel like the old meta used to be, oh, you, you're bringing a big tank, I'm going to bring an airplane to kill the tank. Oh, you're bringing an airplane, I'm going to bring a rocket ship. Just big thing to like, I'm going to kill you with this, I'm going to kill you with that. But you're right, in a sense, people can have a Boromir model at like 220 points. And now it's not, let me try something to kill that 220 points. Rather, it's let me have that 220 points, only kill 50 points of mine this whole game. Then you're negating 150 points of basic thing for the whole game, if that kind of makes sense, like mathematically. That's Richard's ballpark right there, peak efficiency. We should say there's a really big difference between knowing what scenarios you're going into in a tournament and having them randomly drawn which we probably should have mentioned at the start. Like That can make a huge difference in your list building, right? If you're going to go into a random draw scenario pack and you know all 18 could come up, you either have to build to be able to play all of them or you have to build negating some of them and hoping they don't come up. So on that note, do you guys kind of like, which way do you go as well? I'll just tack that on there. Going over the general rules, this is definitely in mind of random scenarios for the all 18 because... I think, like you said, if we know the exact scenarios, it's going to be really, really specialized. And you're going to build like a list that only performs in those specific scenarios. So, Yeah, yeah like last year's Adepticon, it was uh, pre-selected. And the first scenario everyone knew was Contest of Champions. So everyone knew that they wanted a leader that can kill. But if it's randomly drawn, I don't think most people would go into... A tournament thinking oh i have to have a leader that can deal a lot of damage in case constant champions comes up because that's only one out of 18 so you kind of have to weigh the odds a little bit the, talking about scenario vps one of them is having a banner in three out of the 18 scenarios do you guys ever go into a tournament without a banner just like kind of giving up those scenarios or is it always worth including a banner even if it's not something that you might not like want to put into your list and i guess um, going back to the banners three out of 18 is um for me like a five game tournament the banner will be high on my list but i won't be mad if i go to a tournament without a banner and and to the death comes up i don't know if you feel guys feel the same way I think a lot of it depends on the point points level. So like at like maybe an 800 point game or 800 point tournament with randomized a six game tournament, I would want to bring a banner just because it would like work at like a 500 point or 600 point tournament. I don't think I would consider it too much unless as you alluded to earlier, unless you know that it's going to be in the tournament, I wouldn't put too much effort into it. 
I would almost always take a banner because of the scenarios. Starting a game at a VP deficit, it always sucks. So you'd rather not end up in that position. But the other thing for me is personally, I play like a lot of high fight value armies, like a lot of armies that have elves and stuff in it. Or like fight four, but then you've got Boromir with a banner in there or something like that, or a hero with a banner. So personally, it's very rare for me to leave home unless it's just like a lower points value. Yeah, and I'm thinking more of um, a situation where it would not be convenient putting in a banner. For example, if you're playing a low points like pure fiefdoms and you already have the 12-inch banner effect and spending an additional 25 points on a banner is not like very efficient. Yeah. Okay, in that situation, it's tricky. I think I just, I'd just i go without it. I wouldn't want to leave home without a banner effect, at least, if I can. Just because the rerolls are very good, especially for high-fight armies. Again, I'm going to jump back to that. But yeah, even in like the higher points, fiefdom-based list, list I've written, I've tossed in the banner just because. Eh, it's tricky. For me, this is always a bit of an odd discussion, just because you know there are the three scenarios where banners come up in victory points. However, if you get rid of your opponent's banner, then you're back on even terms. In most situations, especially anything 500 points or higher, and in all of the armies I played, banners are quite necessary tactically, so I just always have a banner. It's not really something that's come up for me. I think in a lot of scenarios, you kind of hope that if you don't have a banner and your opponent has a banner in one of those scenarios, that they just have a standard warrior with banner, something that you might be able to get rid of. I actually do remember one game in a tournament where I think it was to the death, so banners worth three victory points. My opponent comes in and he reads over the victory conditions and he was like, oh, well, now I'm already losing because I don't have a banner. And I had King's Champion, which is uh, two banners with fate points. And he was not happy. I don't know. I think it's it's ta- tactically in most lists, it's pretty necessary anyways. Personally, I just take it all the time. So all three of those banner scenarios are in different pools in the new scenario booklet. So if you're playing where you roll for a pool and then that pool is crossed out, your chances of getting a banner scenario are actually fairly high. Yeah, it's higher than 3 and 18. Yeah, it's, sure. yeah, it's, it's way higher than that. And especially if you're playing like a four or more games, I think you're going to have one almost all the time, almost every time. So I think uh, maybe one more comment to consider about the banners is maybe it depends also on how the tournament is scored. Because um, I think the ones that we played mostly in North America has been tournament points. And then the tiebreaker is victory points next. So that kind of makes the banner a bit more important because... Even in the games that you're having a blowout win, you still want to collect those victory points. But say you're at a tournament that the first indicator is win-losses, and then the tiebreaker, the first tiebreaker is tournament points. Then at that point, I would argue that VPs don't matter as much. You just need enough VPs to win your game. But then after that game is over, it doesn't really affect your standing overall as much. That's a really good point. Yeah, I didn't think of VP scoring and and, uh, that part of of a tournament. So I guess we're all talking about what to put in an army. So what are you guys' thoughts about a well-rounded army versus a specialized army when you bring one to a tournament? A well-rounded army being like an army that like covers various threats and weaknesses and 
having certain things in the army that like we discussed or a specialized army that's not very standard so for example like goblin town or or something that just doesn't have the normal composition i i don't know if i play a lot of specialized armies <laughs> i play a lot of weird alliance armies <laughs> Yeah, your uh, your lists are generally pretty uh, pretty standardized, right? Pretty balanced. Yeah, I generally go for the uh, approach of going for any scenario in against any army is what I try to shoot for. So I I tend to avoid those kind of weird, crazy ones unless there's a very specific idea I'm attempting to go for. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I try. It depends on what event you go to. So if you're if you're promoting a local event. You can bring like a weird list that's not competitive and stuff. Or if you're even going to a regional competition where you're just going to hang out with friends, try something new or or wonky or whatever. But when it comes to the big events like, say, Nova, I always try to balance my list with distributing threats within the list. So, for example, the Corsair, the last Nova list that I, that I brought, if the shooting is shut down, I'd like to say then the, then the backstabber rule kicks in. If the if the horde aspects shut down, then maybe the heroes step in. So like that's how I would build the list competitively and how I see lists being built competitively. It's to have multiple threats. So if one threat is shut down, the other threat can either kick in or also having threats that can shut down your opponents. Ye old triple threat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think trusty, trusty triple threat. Oh yeah, we called it those North Carolina boys. We called it the I think it's called the Carolina Crunch, where they'd bring like three big husky. They'd bring like an Aragorn, a Boromir, and like a Huron, or just like three big, like an Isildur, Glorfindel, Gilgalad. That's their aspect of a balanced list: is you shut down Glorfindel, I still have Gilgalad and Elendil. You shut down Boromir, I still have Aragorn and Huron. Like it's that mindset I think is entrenched in the American scene, whether it's horde aspect hero aspect or uh, scenario built aspect it's having those multiple threats well just i think that might be why we don't see as much magic here anymore at least right now just because a lot of people tend to take the triple threat so it doesn't matter if you shut down one of them i have the other two going off doing their thing so even i think that plays a really big aspect because i don't know at least locally we don't see a ton of magic or at least like big magic casters like wizards i mean galadriel we see around a decent amount but then besides that, it's usually like the smaller ones like Kirdan comes out a lot more, a lot more support casters, which is interesting, which is probably because of yeah, the triple threat thing. I do think there is a competitive advantage for bringing a list that's more specialized and not as well-rounded. And uh, that is like the shock factor. So I experienced this last year in, at Nova and Adepticon. At Adepticon, I brought a Far Harad army, just half trolls and camels. And I think two out of my four opponents have never seen the army before. They didn't know the stat line of the half-trolls. They didn't know the impact mechanic of the camels. And it just allowed me to kind of do what I wanted until they figured out later on in the game how my models worked. And then at Nova, I brought a list that was like had no shooting and just the two big heroes, LSR and Bormir. And it caught some people off guard as well. So you do have more weaknesses when you bring a specialized army. But I find that you have that edge of just catching people off guard and not being able to to play against your army. No, yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, it's a it's a really good take, um, good take, good take on that. And that's why I like 
I like specialized armies, less specialized heroes, because it is that shocked factor, like having half trolls all of a sudden, oh shoot, there's six half trolls, fight five, just tearing through my dwarven armor, like it's butter, like it's, 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 it's a fun, a fun thing to, thing to do, but I think at least in the East Coast area, when, when we played in tournaments and stuff in America, I don't, I don't know, just the magic, the magic scene, um, going specialized has more of a connotation of magic or a finesse army or something like Agmar that's specialized, but then you might go against shooting and it's not good. So there's like drawbacks, there's, there's gives and takes in a way. So there is one other aspect that we kind of haven't touched on in competitive play is just, do you guys come up with certain strategies you intend to use beforehand, like in a game, like. Like, oh, I'm just going to shield wall and like set up my shooting and do some shoot and scoot and kind of see what they do. Or are you going to try and go like recreate some kind of ancient battle, like, I don't know, Hannibal's thing where you have like a weak center and strong flanks and then you just end up enveloping them or something like that. Is there any kind of like specialized tactics that you go for before a game or you just kind of have a pool of ideas that you go through? That's kind of what I do is I just have like a few scenarios where it's like, I think I can do this. And I go into a game with an idea that I think will work, and then I kind of adapt to it as it goes. Or do you guys just start fresh at the start of every game? Or See, Ian, that's where I get my tactical advantage from. You're sitting there wondering what my strategy is. You think I think ahead. You silly boy. I don't I, think ahead. I mean, I just go I and play. Know what I'm what doing, happens, no, you know what I'm doing. <laughs> naive child. I just go in and let the combats happen. <laughs> Whatever, man. It's a dice game. The dice will decide. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to go in with a general game plan, and I think we usually will have at least a few practice games before a tournament, so you kind of know like what the strengths and weaknesses of your list are, and depending on the scenario, right, you you, you kind of know what what to do in each scenario because likely you've played it before the tournament. But then there's always part of it that has to be reactive, so it, you really have to see who your opponent is. You know, like if they outshoot you, you might not be able to sit back and shoot them like you usually do. Or if they don't have much mobility, you might have better map control. So it really comes down to like who you're facing as well. It's never like a hundred percent your plan, your strategy isn't going to be the same every single time. Yeah, 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 I agree with that. I think for me, I'd probably plan out the game uh, just 15% of the time. For my last round at Nova, I came against an Agmar list with no march. So right off the bat, I was like, okay, scan the board. I'm going to castle here and grind him down and send a couple distractions this way to split the force up. But no, I don't really ever come up with a game plan beforehand outside of knowing what my army does and knowing what their army does. That's what I usually look at. And I usually play it by what's going on. What are they doing? What am I doing? And it kind of it works out in the in the states in the east coast because you have competitive players like say myself or Devin Morano or Jacob Paul or the Iversons or other high players that we usually in a 3 or 5 game tournament we're going to play each other at least once and if you travel to an event once a month you just constantly play against each other so in in a sense you have to play differently each game to be honest um you have to do what what I do with Devin like uh like when I first started the game, I was very defensive and very like subtle with what I did. And now I just do crazy things. Like I'll just be like, okay, send in all my heroes for combat with all four at the same time with my low might army, just different things that throw your opponent off balance. But most of them is just reactionary play to your opponent, especially if they're a really good player. You have to play it uh, in a way turn by turn. Well, also, of course, focusing on the objective, but but they're going to make adjustments. 
mid-game, you're going to make adjustments mid-game, and you've got to kind of play that dance, which is, which is very fun. Do you have general strategies you use for any kind of list in a certain scenario? Personally, for Reconnoiter, I found I've, I have a really bad record in Reconnoiter, so I've kind of come up with a general strategy for that, is whenever I can, I'll put like a warband with March on one side and then some cavalry on the other side. And hopefully one of them will get through. <laughs> That's kind of a general strategy I try to adopt when I can with playing Reconnoiter, for example. But I don't know if anybody else has something like that. You come up with these plans like as you're deploying or like during turn one. Because you can't really do the split strategy every single game. Like It really depends what your opponent puts on their side of the board. So I still think it's uh, mostly reactionary. Yeah, and that it even, I mean, I like how you bring up deployment. I think deployment is the most important part of the game, to be honest. You can tell if you deploy really bad in a game and you're up against a really competitive player, you're like, okay, shoot, yeah, I'm going to lose this game. Or even vice versa, you can kind of tell the tone of the game with, with deployment. But but yeah, for shooting especially, like, view, scan the, scan the scenery, scan the point of views, uh, do those things, and react. You place a warband. I always place my least important warband down first and then you react you see okay where are they placing their warband and then you say okay cool they're probably going to play it this way i place they place i place they place so it is all reactionary um not just mid-game but pre-game during deployment uh late game it's a lot of it is reaction or even if you're if you're losing and you're like okay i have to do something that has a five percent chance of success but if I don't throw this 5% chance of success, I'm going to lose the game 95% like chance. So you have to throw that, or even you're winning the game, and then you change your tone to defensively. Okay, I'm winning the game. I have a VP lead. I can be greedy and try to go for like breaking and killing their hero with the chance that he's going to break me, and we could tie, or I could lose, or I could play defensively. So it's those, those adjustments during the game that I think are very, very important. The final point to bring up is theme. Now, I know, Rainier, when we were going over some of your interview questions, you said that um, theme and lore is really important when selecting an army. How important is it when you when you go into a competitive tournament? Like, do you think about theme or is it all about the perfect composition? Uh, how does theme play a role into uh, the way you build an army? That was a good question. I think before I say what I'm going to say, no disrespect or to people who bring mishmash armies or stuff like that. But me personally, I don't like Franken-esque armies in any way. <laughs> I don't like playing them and I don't like playing against them. There's a sense of, so for example, you, Charles, like I had a Corsair uh, Radrim list coming from the south and you had a Fountain Court list coming from the north. And whoever won, it was a beautiful scene. It was a beautiful battle. We took pictures. It was amazing. But let's say you had one of us had our had our themed army and it came against like maybe Legolas with like some random Gondorians mixed in with an eagle, mixed with just random stuff, or mixed in with Lake Town to get that extra march march in Alfred. Like <laughs> that doesn't sound familiar at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have no, <laughs> no No disrespect, Richard. Shots, no disrespect. Shots <laughs> hey, you, no. you know what the funny thing is? You my, stole it from us? Yeah, my church list, I stole from a player I played from your group, Jesse. So yeah, he, he taught me those ways. Go. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it's so funny. And, like, I'm not, like, talking bad about anyone who plays this. Like, exactly what Rich said. He took that list from someone that we play. And we have wonky lists and stuff. But just for me personally, 
It's the lore that gets me into painting. It's watching the movies and listening to these podcasts and listening to other YouTube channels talking about, oh, cool, like the kin strife of Gondor and Umbar and how it's split and how the Black Numenorians established colonies or even the Easterling. That, that's what gets me into the game. So when I build an army, I actually, uh, let me think, since 2017, I don't think I've ever played a non-pure army or non-legendary legion um, at like a tournament. And that's not saying any disrespect to anybody that does. I think there's skill and pride in playing that. But just for me personally, I don't know. I, I love I love that aspect of the game. And I also like playing a really strong army with a, with a weakness. Because I think it adds a level to the game to where it's like, okay, I have to overcome this small weakness. Maybe my Corsair list, they're low armor, they have low courage. Like, could I like ally in some heavy armor Moranans to like fix that? Or I could ally in other things to get Maelstorm effects. But like, I just, I don't know. I like the theme of it a lot. And I think that's important to me personally, but no disrespect to Franken-esque armies. (laughs) Well, like I, the opposite I, of the church. on that aspect, though, like like you're saying, that's kind of the reason why I like doing these kind of Frankenstein armies. I can't speak for Richard, but I know he does a lot out of this group. He probably does the most next to me. But I, I like that kind of aspect where you're like, OK, I really like this model and I really like this model. Can I put them together? And if I do, can I like cover their weaknesses by bringing something else in? Or how can I make this like maximize this just idea or this concept I have in my head? Oh, can I get four or three attack heroes in the 700 point list? Let's see if I can make that work and still get decent numbers and not have a weird, crazy list. And there, there's art to that, too. And I had a conversation with uh, not Jesse, another kid, another guy that uh, Alisher Amanoff, who does lists like that. And we were talking and, and he really opened my eyes to it. He said, my brother participates in sports. This is my sport. I compete and I want to bring my A game and I want to, and this is like a 16 year old kid who's like, who's like hardcore, like really, really, really good at the game and stuff. We call him our, our prodigy. We just like release him out of the cage and he goes all havoc on all these, all these Southern groups and stuff. But he opened my eyes to the aspect of, yeah, that's, that's a really big aspect of the game. Like finding those niches. How do I, like you said, how do I add four, three attack heroes into a list? How can I add magic? We call it the Heisman, what Jesse Schaefer does, um, or the Philly Special. He'll bring Guahir with uh, Galadriel, and he'll hand Guahir the mirror, and Guahir will just go bulldozing through stuff with the mirror and being unstoppable. Like, that's fun. Like, I get that. It's really fun. But just my my experience, my enjoyment is the more I play the game, the more I want to focus on trying to make something as beautiful as, as Charles makes, to be honest. Like, that's that's what now inspires me to the game. Not so much the competitive forums, but I see Charles's beautiful diagrams. I see his cool things and I'm like, you know what, like that's that's what I want to do next. And that's kind of what made me go towards Cond or Easterlings. I just want to do that. And I really respect and to be honest, I was like that too in the beginning. And it's it's, it's really fun to play that, that way. But it, it's just not where I'm at right now, I guess. I think that's a good point you, you just made, but it kind of depends on where you are in the hobby. But like personally, I've kind of like ebbed and flowed out of taking more theme and towards more competitive stuff. When we first started getting our community going about six years ago, I was always want to maximize big competitive. Let's go crazy. And then after a couple of years, I kind of got bored of that. So I started taking more themed lists. And now I've kind of come back around again. And I still kind of like going for certain themes that are more prominent in like the books and the movies. But I'm tending more towards just maximizing lists and stuff now which I think kind of has to do with the level of competition and stuff 
at least locally and like the amount of people we have getting and and where we're going but yeah if i was going to nova or something and like all bets are off i'm going to come up with something crazy as long as it satisfies my list of what i want in an army then then it doesn't matter for theme which is a bit sad but you know if, I, if i'm going to pay one and a half to two grand to go play somewhere i want to win damn it no yeah you gotta <laughs> bring all the whistles and all the guns that you can bring like i totally understand that and like it, it's good you bring that up because i think pre-corona before like we could play at stores before we could do local tournaments and stuff pre-corona a lot of what i was doing in pennsylvania was building the community and getting new players into it and stuff like that and their big aspect of loving the game was seeing like the pelinor field set or seeing these cool different themed armies so it kind of switched to me but you're you're right i mean you see my list for nova like i'm counting shields and counting war gear down to every single point you have to do those things or you have to know like okay this group plays heavy hordes i need something to like stop that or this group plays shooting i need to ally in gladriel even if she does not fit the theme like that's totally respectable and quite quite often like i i, I do the same like it's all, all gloves off when it comes to the competition <laughs> So I guess I just want to add my input on this that like part of it is building like a super hyper competitive, like efficient list. But I think another part of it is also for me building a list that's really fun for me. And usually that includes some sort of like really crazy combo, which might usually is not very thematic. <laughs> so like in a tournament earlier this year um, in January, I ran a Drew's Egg with like two War Chieftains and then bunch of wild wargs some spiders i mean there's no like real theme or story behind it but i just wanted to you know power up those war chieftains and just go to town so it was just like a fun combo that i kind of thought of and then yeah and then in my other list where i had um like the fiefdoms broadsword in the front and then i had the fiefdom pikemen and then i had the galadrum pikemen behind so it's like a fight six pike block with like a plus one to wound like i'm just like this this just sounds fun to me so <laughs> it's not necessarily trying to build something unthematic but yeah no that's hilarious i was like oh cool oh wait what <laughs> <laughs> No, but there's joy in that. Like you said, like that's what gets you excited about the game, like trying new things out. And I get that. Like like Alisher from our group, like we drive to tournaments three, four hours like across the states and we have these exact conversations in the car for many hours. Just yeah, like it's how we enjoy the game. We 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 find different ways we enjoy it and we like incorporate that into the competition and, and wanna do our best. Like it's 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 really fun to see the diversity of how people kind of treat this game. There is a bit of a special joy I find in like having a really themey list and then you go, oh, hold on, I might be onto something here. There might actually be something like really good in this, at least at this kind of a level. Like the one that I could that comes to mind is uh, Theodore's Guard. Like I never really thought much of that Legion. And then we had a 400 point tournament and I was looking at it and I'm like, hmm, there's there's actually something pretty decent in here for, for the points value that can actually work. And it, it turned out really well, and I took it, and yeah, it, it worked really, really well. But it's that definitely is, is always uh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of in the same kind of thinking as Rainier. I usually don't bring convenient or impossible alliances to tournaments. It's usually pure or a historical alliance. But my reason is because I usually try to go for like best painted and best display board. And it's easier if you have a thematic army in mind to kind of build a scene or paint an army a certain way. So 
I kind of restrict myself to peerless and historical alliances, but I still try my best to win every single game when I go to a tournament. It's just kind of a personal restrictions when it comes to army building. I just wanted to let it be known that Charles takes all the thematic lists and all that and looks like the good guy, but he's my main helper in creating my dirty, filthy lists. So he gives, he's like, oh, you should, you should probably take this. Like, this is pretty disgusting. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it does say, it gives a, a sense of like what makes a game fun too is lists of course have give you an edge or give you tools but it, it does come down to the player themselves that wins the games and i remember uh you two like rich and charles like you guys i'm pretty sure if i run from nova you guys brought really thematic lists and you didn't you guys get fourth and fifth yeah fourth and fifth and it was very very nice to see that like you can still bring something nice and go hard at an event like Nova. Like you guys, fourth and fifth with a good thematic list was like really like encouraging for me and some other some other players who are like, oh, you can win without <laughs> bringing something together. But it also, what Ian was saying with the Legendary Legions, Games Workshop is even making now pure thematic lists more dangerous. So in a way, what's happening and what I'm gonna, what I feel is the move. Now those lists where people are trying to find cool different things and put them together, in a sense that is becoming less competitive or will eventually become not less competitive in the sense that it's not good to bring it, but it's not like two years ago, you grab from here, grab from there, grab from here, and you build like an optimized list. Now there's penalties to that. I don't think we're ever going to go back to last edition in that kind of uh, aspect. Let me throw in a shade. Last edition, you kind of have to choose between thematic or if you want to win. Like, you couldn't really pick both, right? Because if you took a pure list, you probably wouldn't win a tournament. Uh, or it was very hard to win a tournament. So now they're kind of, the lines are a little more blurred and you could still, you could be really competitive and still thematic. Or, yeah, like Ian said, last edition, if you wanted to win, you have to have a Frankenstein list. I just hope they keep the balance where you both uh, lists are viable competitively because. I wouldn't want to see it to go too far the other side where it becomes, you know, play a Legendary Legion or it's not competitive. Because then personally, I like Legendary Legions, but I usually don't take them because there's not much creativity to building the list. So I play them for more casual and fun games. That has been our discussion on competitive army building requirements. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Rainier, for coming on our show. Look forward to the next episode of Into the West. Mm-hmm.